0: By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt And Father, as we come now to hear your word, we pray that you open our ears, open our hearts, that we may learn from Moses' lessons, Lord, and from the words that Barry brings. We pray, Lord, you will bless Barry as he brings your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thank you, Rod. I promised to get you home by tea time, is that okay? Our service has gone a little bit... Longer than normal. I said to uh, Rob that the ladies would take five minutes. I was wrong. I'm just going to add one more thing before I I get into God's word this morning. Now, the ladies have been with 7,000 people. Liz and I had the privilege of going to a Royal Garden party with 8,000 people. Um, Hopefully next week you will see some photographs. But these shoes have Buckingham Palace dust on them. So that's why they're dusty and not clean this morning. Anywhere, the story of Moses' birth takes place amid tragedy. A king arose in Egypt, a pharaoh who was threatened by the Hebrew people. Even after the Hebrews were forced into hard labor, Pharaoh was still troubled. We don't know why. Perhaps it was sheer numbers. Perhaps it was the Hebrews' faith in God. Perhaps it was a tenacity of spirit. Perhaps it was their obvious and unwavering confidence in a lord of history. Pharaoh may have been an emotionally insecure man. The storyteller wants us to understand that the number of Hebrews was enough to threaten those in power. The result? Pharaoh issued a terrible decree. He ordered that all the infant born... Of the Hebrew women were to be thrown into the Nile River and drowned. His executive order was given to the Hebrew midwives. The midwives, however, refused. They simply could not or would not comply with such a command. So Pharaoh called them before him in the palace. Why have you done this? He cried, and allowed the boys to live. The midwives used clever tactics in their response. They replied, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. And as a storyteller says, so God dealt well with the midwives. God looked favorably upon these family servants. The message is clear. Sometimes it is important for the people of God to be shrewd. The Hebrew midwives exhibited a bright, quick-witted handling of the situation. Moses' mother kept him securely guarded and quiet while he was a very young infant. But once he was three months old, something had to be done. She decided to hide the child. She built a small basket of reeds from the river She cemented the reeds together with tar or pitch. She placed her son in the basket and set it quietly afloat down the Nile among the tall grasses along the edge of the Nile. She assigned the family babysitter to watch over him. Capture this picture in your mind's eye, a tiny child floating in the Nile and an older sister, perhaps 15 to 20 yards away, keeping watch, The setting has an inherent beauty of its own. If the infant Moses could have spoken at this time, he probably would have spoken of the miracle of an older sister who loved him and stood watch over him in the basket in the river. One day, the daughter of the pharaoh, the princess of the land, came to bathe in the Nile. She heard the baby crying. Moses' sister was assuredly alarmed at this development, She probably thought, oh no, we're done. We are discovered. Or could it have been on purpose, knowing the routine habits of the princess to bathe at a certain time? But the baby Moses captured the heart of the princess. In one special moment, a daughter of the pharaoh broke the pattern of cruelty that had been ordered in Egypt. The princess knew the decree of her father, But she also knew the innocence of a child, and her heart claimed him. She would take him home. Next comes what must be one of the most fascinating parts of the story. Moses' sister went to the princess and asked, Would you like me to find someone to care for the child? The princess was delighted. Miriam left at once to get her mother. She brought her back to the princess. Note what happened next. The princess said, take this child and nurse it for me and I will pay you. Here is a statement to warm the heart of every mother. A mother paid by the state for watching and raising her own child. So Moses' mother raised him in the palace of the Egyptian king. Evidence indicates that she was the one who saw God at work in all of this the whole scenario could have been a coincidence of course but it could have been blind luck but Moses' mother knew better this Hebrew mother faithfully told her son of their God in the midst of a pagan palace and pagan religions she spoke of God She told him the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And during quiet palace nights, she would even whisper in Moses' ear the sacred name of Yahweh. Moses knew the sacred name before he was able to talk. His mother told her son who he was and whose he was. Who whispers the name of Jesus to children these days? Who will tell today, children, the stories of Jesus, the stories of faith and hope? In the midst of plenty and privilege, who will keep the name of God alive? In the midst of a host of secular gods, prolific lures, and growing materialistic expectations, who will say... Remember that you are a child of God. Remember that God alone is your strength. In the midst of the trappings of luxury and expansive, expensive lifestyles, who will whisper the sacred name in the ear of every child? The story of Moses is of one of auspicious circumstances and beginnings. The message of the storyteller seems clear. God is initially involved and present in our lives. God is present in the cleverness of the Hebrew midwives. God is present in the softened heart of an Egyptian princess, in the quick thinking of an older sister, and in the religious fervor of a mother. Let us take note that it was four women here who helped and cared for Moses. Four women to build one great man. God is present. That's the gospel in this story. God is working out a purpose in history, just as God always has and always will. Like the story of Jesus, we have no stories from the boyhood of Moses. The storyteller moves us quickly from infancy to adulthood. We read a summary of his childhood under Pharaoh's daughter and are moved immediately to this statement. One day after Moses had grown up, Moses was forced forced into exile in Egypt, having been observed in the act of striking and, and killing an Egyptian taskmaster. He traveled to the land of Midian, Most historians believe now that that area is on the eastern coast of the Gulf of Aqaba. There, Moses assumed the life of a shepherd. He married and had several children. Moses' life was comfortable and relaxed. He grew old in this land and eventually attained the traditional age of retirement. Old age apparently felt good for Moses. He retained good health and vigour, as he approached his ninth decade. Moses said to himself, my life has been good, I am satisfied. The storyteller sets the stage for us in strikingly understandable images. A settled, comfortable life with children and grandchildren with blessing. However, God had another plan. God intruded with a theophany. A theophany is an experience where God unexpectedly interrupts or encroaches upon the ordinary affairs of life. This intrusion intrusion is uninvited. This unsolicited incursion of God into the flow of life is exactly what happened to Moses. One day, Moses was tending his sheep near the foot of a sacred mountain. As he looked into the distance, he saw something burning. The fire did not seem to spread. Neither did it go out. And it did not consume what it was burning. The fire simply burned. The well-known burning bush shrub provides exciting colour to many home landscapes each autumn. This simple shrub transforms into glorious colours of red and orange for a few weeks. The plant derives its name, of course, from the story of Moses in Exodus 3. In that story, a bush was on fire, but it was not consumed. Moses decided that he must go and check out the strange sight. His life was radically transformed by that decision. Have you ever made a quick decision that significantly real orientated the flow of your life? As he approached the bush, he heard his name being called, "Moses, Moses." Right away, Moses, no doubt, assumed he was in trouble. Bushes do not call out your names, let alone even burning bushes. Remove the sandals from your feet. The voice commanded. The place on which you are standing is holy ground. We can we can simply assume. That Moses kicked his shoes off quickly. Moses' name was called, the command was given, off came his shoes. Somewhere I heard of a lecturer who suggested that to go shoeless on a rather regular basis can give you an expected, or sorry, increased life expectancy of three years. Perhaps kicking off your shoes while you're sat here this morning will have longevity benefits. Slowly, Moses became aware of who was speaking to him. There is no evidence in Scripture to suggest that Moses was a particularly religious person up to this point. He was not irreligious, nor could he even be considered agnostic. He was possibly a passively religious person in his shepherd's lifestyle. Gradually, Moses recalled the name of God that his mother whispered into his ear as a small child in the palace of the Pharaoh. Moses thought to himself, this must be the God of my mother and of my people. Childhood stories and sacred memories came flooding back. Moses fell to his knees. In a theophany, in an unexpected interruption of life with God, We kneel. God continued his message. I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know of their sufferings. Moses listened. He remembered images of pitifully wretched conditions of slavery that he had seen so many years ago. Images of his people trampling clay for bricks in the mud pits. Images of task markers, maskers with huge whips cracking regularly over the people's backs. If Moses had dared, he might have retorted, Well, oh God, it's about time after all. It has been more than 400 years. I know their sufferings, said a voice. I have heard their cry. These words may well affirm the single most dominant part of God's nature, God does hear the cry, the hurt, and the pain of God's people. God has a special ear for the oppressed. God knows the aching heart of every human being. This is part of the good news in the message of our Exodus storyteller. God knows your occasional fear of dying, the times of emptiness or loneliness, the uncertain sexuality, the hidden abuse in a marriage, or a family, or the bounce with depression. God knows. Is not the nature of God revealed in Jesus Christ right here? Is not the word from the burning bush an anticipation of the very nature of Jesus Christ? Moses undoubtedly responded positively to the good news. He seemed to say, thank you, Lord, Thank you for hearing the cry of your people. But now what are you going to do about it? At this point, the real measure and impact of the theophany becomes clear in the story. God offered a startling revelation. Wrong question, Moses. It's not what I am going to do about it. I am calling you. Me, Lord? Yes, you, Moses. I am sending you to confront the the oppressor, to speak strong words to Pharaoh, to lead my children out of Egypt. Whoa, wait a minute, Lord. You want me to take the people out of Egypt, across the desert? Moses began to comprehend the radical dimensions of this testimony. Have you ever carried out a lively debate with God? Have you ever tried to change God's mind on some matter? Have you argued with God about some issue or circumstance in your life? Moses' first step in his journey of discipleship is to do exactly this. He argues with the God of the ages. Moses quickly comes defensive in this extraordinary calling he has received. Moses is convinced that he cannot respond. And he plays the game of yes but, no but with God. Anytime we feel called or compelled to do something we would rather not do, we are tempted to say yes but, no but. Moses, Moses plays the yes but, no but game with God for the next part of our story. He says, yes, but, no, but, at least five times. Moses firstly asks a simple question, but who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Probably Moses was was thinking, hey, I'm too old for this job. I've just got my pension check. I'm enjoying my OAP discounts. I'm not ready for this whole new mission in my life. Moses was about 80 years old when the call of God came. This is hardly a time when we think of a whole new vocation in our lives. God simply says, I will be with you, Moses. God does not acknowledge Moses' argument. Neither does God acknowledge Moses' age Stage in life. God simply calls. Moses suggests a second argument. He asked God for God's name. The name of God was closely entwined with the nature of God. Thus the writer of Psalm 23 says, he leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Moses was asking how he could offer the definitive nature of their God to the Israelites. If they go and ask me about you, what shall I say? Seems to be Moses' question. The response of the voice of the burning bush is the one perhaps most mysterious of all scripture. God says, I am who I am. Therefore, Moses is to tell the people, that I am has sent him. We're not able to probe the mystery of God's nature. God preserves God's mystery for all time. God is not about to open up the full mystery of being to Moses at this moment in Moses' life. Perhaps God is offering a name that is only finally completed in the person of Jesus. The Gospel of John may be a partial unfolding of the mystery of God's words to Moses in Exodus. Jesus uses various images to suggest Jesus' identity. But unflappable in his desire for permanent deferment, Moses raises a third argument. But suppose they don't believe me or listen to me and say that the Lord did not appear to you. In effect, Moses is saying, What if I go and preach and nobody listens or even cares? This is one fear of every preacher. What if the people do not listen? What if they do not come? What if my words make no connection with the listener and no difference at all? God replies convincingly, Moses, I will create signs and wonders before you. I will make the fruits of your ministry happen. I will make things happen in your wake. That's quite a promise. Moses relentlessly hurls his fourth yes but no but to God. Emotions are running high. Moses trembles at the thought of what might be unavoidable. He says, oh Lord, I have never been eloquent. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Moses pleads a new tact i mumble a lot i can't think fast on my feet i stumble and my grammar is not good god's response is wonderful i will be with your mouth we remember the promises to the disciples of the new testament when they are told by jesus that they will receive words to speak The fifth, yes, but no but, exasperates the patience of God. Moses says, oh Lord, please send someone else. Here is a last desperate plea to avoid the interruption of a very pleasant existence. I really do enjoy retirement, Lord, and those OAP discounts at the market and reduce entrances to the national trust properties and heritage prices, especially the pyramids. Are really nice. You don't really want me to go to Egypt, do you? With well, the fifth, yes but no but the storyteller says, Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. God is frustrated with Moses of all of his excuses and ours. In the end, God tells Moses and that Aaron will be called to be alongside him. Moses will give Aaron the words to say, and God will be with both of their mouths. God says, no more objections, Moses. Now go. Moses went in faith. Someone has said that faith is most simply waiting for the rest of the story to unfold. You may be called. You may even have a theophany. God may interrupt your life, either briefly or for the long haul. You may yes but no but God a few times in your life. However, in the end, you will find yourself saying, Okay, Lord, here I am. I've heard your call. I think I know your name and nature. Here I am, Lord. Lead me to where the hurt is. Help me to set your people free, and I will go. Amen.